Good evening, I'm Brian Hirsch and welcome to New Money. And this evening we're tackling estate planning. The cornerstone of any estate and financial plan is a valid will. The will allows you to specify exactly how you wish to distribute your assets. Recently, the Master's Office released figures that in excess of over 70% of South Africans do not, not have a will. And tonight I'd like to welcome Harry Joffe, Head of Legal Services, Discovery Law. Harry, good to have you on the show. Good to be here, Brian. Harry, why are South Africans so lackadaisical when it comes to the will? Because you do agree, it is the, the cornerstone of an estate plan. Yeah. Brian, I think it's just put it in context, though. It's not only South Africa that's got that problem. I mean, the UK, which is supposedly such a first world and highly educated country, I say supposedly, over 50% of people there don't have a will. So, you know, it's not just South Africa. The stats are similar all over the world. And people just don't want to face death. That's so all. It's a difficult okay. thing to face. So, so, Harry, so, so let me ask you this question. If you die intestate, in other words, you don't have a will, you're yes. a married person, automatically your assets will go to your wife. So what are the complications? What, 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 yes. what, what delays do you face by not having that will? So the first complication is obviously you're not in control anymore of your estate. So you now go into the Interstate Succession Act, which regulates who gets what. So if you've got a spouse and no children, the spouse gets everything. If you've got a spouse and children, they share equally. But remember there's a, what we call a child share. And uh, the spouse has to get at least 250,000 rand. So you could find the children get nothing. And then it goes down a pecking order. If you've got no spouse and no children, it goes to the closest blood relative. That's, that's the first problem. Second problem, of course, if you've got minor beneficiaries, you don't set up a trust for them because you don't have a will, and then their money goes into the guardian's fund. So you can't protect money for minor children if you do have. And thirdly, of course, you're not appointing an executor. So, you know, it's got to go to the master. The master's got to be happy with your executor, whoever gets appointed, and it's just a longer process. So would you, I mean, uh, uh, we don't advise anyone not to have, even if it's a simple will. Exactly. But, would you, uh, but then, if you're looking for an executor, do you, would you go to the master and say, I'd like so-and-so to be executor, or the, will the master automatically... No, normally what happens is the family will bring in an attorney or someone who specialises in winding up estates, and they'll apply to the master to appoint this person. And again, the master will, but of course, you know, if you do a will, you can nominate your close family to be your executor, your spouse or, or children or whatever, but... If you don't have a will, then normally the master is going to look for a professional person to do it. Okay, so let's move, let's move to the next stage of estate planning and let's talk about trusts. Yes. How do you feel about trusts? I mean, you know, th th there seems to be a, like a limbo period with, after the ta Davis Tax Commission came out uh, on trust. And how, how do you feel about trusts? Yeah, I mean, look, the Davis Tax Commission came out last year. We haven't heard anything further from it. That was under the previous finance minister, remember. So no one knows if the current finance minister is pro the Davis report or against it. We'll have to wait for the budget. But I think the Davis report has focused our attention that trust must be used for the right reasons. You know, what are some of the right reasons? You've just brought it up now if you've got minor children. One of the biggest uh, uses of a trust, if you've got minor children and you want to protect the inheritance, protect the proceeds of a policy, then you need a trust. And you need to protect not just the policy, you need to protect all assets for minor children. So trust is there to look after assets for minors, for incapacitated people, for people that can't look after themselves, and maybe to pass assets to the next generation. It's not there to avoid income tax, because it doesn't do that. And it's not there just to avoid estate duty, because if you're going to spend all that money just to avoid estate duty, you know, you might have cheaper ways to do it. As we discussed last time, Discovery got a fantastic new product. Let me just bring that in, Brian. Uh, joint and survivor policy, where you can insure two lives, husband and wife, on the same policy, and it only pays out on the last dying, which means if you leave everything to each other, There'll be no estate duty because of the 4Q deduction. When the second dying spouse dies, then the policy kicks in to pay any estate duty. So that's not always the solution, but I'm saying for an average middle class family, 
you wouldn't use a trust just to avoid estate duty. There might be simpler and cheaper ways to do it. Harry, it's strange that you should come up with such a policy with pending um, recommendations that estate is paid on the death of the sp first spouse, not, in, not payable on the death of the second. Well, that's do you, not believe, report, do you, yes. you not believe that that, that that recommendation in any way will be uh, considered? Look, as I said, Brian, it came out a year ago, the Davis Committee report wasn't mentioned at all in this last budget. It, we'll have to wait and see in this budget. There's a lot of resistance to removing the 4Q deduction. Just for the, the viewers, 4Q, of course, is anything you bequeath to a spouse is free of your state duty. And if they scrap that, you're going to have a lot of older people who have already done their wills, done their planning, leaving everything to each other, and now they can't change it because they're too old. They can't get life insurance. They can't get cover. If they start moving assets around, there's capital gains tax. So there's a lot of resistance to removing the 4Q. So, okay. I mean, you never know. They could bring it in, but we've got to, of course, carry on. Okay, so let's now, let's talk about another document that people do in estate planning, or not only stand, you spoke about people, trust being formed for minor children, people who aren't capable of looking after themselves. Right. Let's talk about power of attorney. Because yes. everyone believes that you sign a power of attorney, you yes. hand over responsibility, and that continues until death. But that's not true, is it? Correct. It actually ceases when the person is no longer capable of understanding exactly. what they're doing. But, but how come no one adheres to that? We see South African common law, and remember we don't have an act of parliament on this yet, we've got South African common law. Common law says the minute you aren't capable of appreciating that power of attorney or of removing it because you don't have your senses, that power of attorney is invalid. Now unlike the UK, so one of the things the UK has actually got correct is they allow what we call enduring power of attorneys. In other words, you can sign a power of attorney which lasts forever. And I must tell you, the UK, and I see the cases every week, there's a lot of fraud on that because the person's mind starts going and the other uh, party who controls the power of attorney helps themselves to their estate. So there's not always a, um, there's a good and a bad side of enduring powers of attorney. But in South African law, it ends the minute you lose your senses. And of course, uh, the question is, does the insurance company or the investment house you're dealing with know? I mean, they should be asking the question. If they don't, the power of attorney might slip through, but it shouldn't. But it does. I mean, if, if you think about people who've got access, uh, power of attorney over a bank account, yes. the banks don't ask, oh, is that person still capable? They are starting to ask now. I can tell you, if it's a very elderly person in whose name the bank account is, you can s they are starting to ask. Well, we're going to take a break. You can call us on, oh, we've got a new number tonight, 011-483-1518. That's changed from our previous number of 011-280-5350, 011 518. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned. Welcome back to New Money this evening. We're discussing estate planning. My guest, Harry Joffe. If you'd like to call, our new number is 011-483-1518. You can still email me on brianh at bhca.ca.za. Caroline in Port Elizabeth asks, we have a local family trust which has a loan account. Are there any ways to avoid the latest tax? And does the tax also apply to our offshore trust which has a loan account? Is there any way around right. this loan account well, problem? The, the, the missing detail is how big is that loan account? Because remember what uh, the viewer is talking about is that paragraph 7C, which says if you don't charge interest on your loan account at 7.75%, that's a deemed donation and you pay donation tax. So if your loan account is less than 1,290,000. That's the latest figure on 7.75%. Correct. So 7.75 times 1,290,000 is 100,000 rand. 
which is below your donation's rebate or exemption. So if a loan account is less than 1290000 she doesn't have a problem. If it's bigger than that, then of course she might have a problem because then she might have to pay donations tax. There's a lot of ways around it, Brian. I mean, the, well, not so simple, but there are ways around it. In other words, she could charge the interest up to her rebate. Remember, we get 23,800 Rand interest rebate every year. So she could charge some interest. That's if you're under trust. 65. Correct. If you're lucky enough to be over 65, it's your generation. Oh, about thanks. that. Thanks, Harry. Yeah, so she could charge, if she's lucky enough to be of that age, she could charge more. And you can split it. You can charge some interest and then have some donation. So there are ways, if you're creative, to try and manoeuvre with it. You can't get around it totally. I mean, it's just, uh, it's not one of those sections you can get around. Well, say someone's got a loan account of 10 million, not much they can do. Exactly. Well, they can have some interest. They could repay. Well, they, they could, could repay, repay some of it, but then, then it comes back into your state. state. And then you've got a state duty of 20%. Exactly. So it's not always good to repay, but again, you can do bits of everything. You can repay some of it, keep some of it going, have some interest. You know, you can work around it. And how does this apply? Because the second part of the question says they've got an offshore trust account as well with the loan account. Does right. it apply to offshore trust? So there's good and there's bad news. Paragraph 7C doesn't apply to offshore trust. That's the good news. The bad news is something far worse that applies. And it's what we call transfer pricing. And transfer pricing is if you don't, and it's been in place for years, uh, any offshore transaction, if you don't have it at market-related rates, they deem the rate to apply anyway. So with an offshore trust, they just deem liable plus a little bit, and you're going to pay tax on that anyway. Is that going to be treated ta taxed as normal income, whereas a loan account in South Africa is treated as donations? Uh, what we tax is interest. So they'll automatically deem interest in your hands, an offshore trust. David in C-Point says, we have adopted children. How do we ensure that they are recognised as beneficiaries of our late father's trust? The trust reads, for the benefit of his children and their descendants by reason of the love and affection which he bears them. It's a great question. It's I'll a tell problem, you why, isn't it? I'll tell you why it's such a good question. I'm not sure if our viewers have seen that, but about one, one and a half, two weeks ago, there's a case that came out of court exactly on this point. It was a trust set up in the 1930s, and it was only for descendants, uh, blood descendants, and one of the children and grandchildren couldn't have any more children. So she adopted two children, and the children could not be beneficiaries of that trust because they weren't uh, children as defined. And she applied to court to amend it, and the court refused to amend it. So... What I would say is you need to look at your trust deed, you need to see how you can amend the trust deed, and then just change your definition of children to include adopted children. But Harry, in the trust deed there is an amendment clause. Yes. And, you, I mean, you can, you can actually... Depending on what kind of trust you got. You see, this court case we had was a testamentary trust, so you can't amend a testamentary trust. Okay, and so, so and even with intervivos trust? Intervivos, then you've got to look at the amendment clause and you'll see what that says. Some of those amendment clauses say you can't change beneficiaries. And then you might have a problem there as well. So they're going to have to have a look at their trust deed and see if it's inter vivos testamentary and what the amendment clause says. Harold in sentence says, I have money offshore in a trust. I want to be able to bring it back to South Africa. How do I do this and can I take it again without foreign exchange permission? Right. So remember, I'm, I'm assuming it's an offshore trust. He's just said offshore trust. Yeah. Okay. So the tr offshore trust can make a distribution back out to South Africa. The issue is there's going to be tax back here in South Africa. Now, assuming that offshore trust wasn't taxed before, and I'm making that assumption, then there's a section in the Income Tax Act, Section 25, which taxes it back in South Africa. And you'll have to try and show SARS, is it a capital gain or an income gain? So you can bring it back as a distribution, and there'll then be tax in South Africa. And I and hope can you take it out again? Well, then you would have to now regularise it with your bank, and you'd have to show it as an inward uh, transfer. And we've had the debate before, can you take a loan from your offshore trust? And remember, that becomes very difficult, because the Reserve Bank doesn't like that. Because you now have got a loan to a foreign entity. Don't you need permission anyway? You to have a and foreign I think, loan. I, you exactly. know, I think I saw in that clause that if you take an amnesty, you can't take a loan. 
Yes, and you can't uh, move your assets into a foreign trust because Amnesty has a lot of restrictions with that. But so to answer the question there, you can take a distribution from the foreign trust, but they might very well be taxed, so they better get professional advice. Uh, Colin in Jansburg says, is an offshore life policy state dutable and can I appoint minor beneficiaries? Harry, you guys have got, I think you've got an offshore policy. I think you've yeah, spoken so about it on air before. So the question is, one, is it dutable? So let's just go back. So Discovery, let me say, is the only life insurer in South Africa that have got the offshore life policy. So well done to actuaries. They're earning their big salaries. Let me say that. But our offshore life policy, the way we've structured it, and it's quite a complicated uh, reading through the Estate GD Act. You've got to look at... Uh, Section 33A, which is the deeming provisions. You've got to look at Section 33D, which is the, the right to benefit your estate. And you've got to look at Section 32, which is the actual property ownership provision. And we've now maneuvered our offshore policy so it fits out of all three of those provisions very neatly. So it pays to anyone offshore or even anyone locally, but you cannot pay your local estate. We've blocked that out. And for that reason, it gets out of certain sections that it's not estate suitable in South Africa. But then, Harry, if I think about a life policy in South Africa, whoever you make your beneficiary it does form part of your estate. Although, as you say, Correct. in terms of spouse to spouse, in, at, the f at stage one death, the first person Before death, Q would apply, it does yes. apply. So, surely uh, that's a no-brainer. Yes, I mean, the offshore policy makes a lot of sense. I mean, you've got, to pay, you've got to pay foreign currency. Yes. What do you have to use your foreign exchange Use allowance? your one million uh, single discretion allowance okay. to pay. But what is so neat about it and what I like is you can nominate someone other than your spouse then to be the beneficiary. Because with a normal South African policy, you've got to nominate your spouse to get 4Q, and then of course there's an asset in her estate. With our offshore life policy, you can nominate a foreign trust. And then if you think about it, the life assured dies, the money pays into the foreign trust, no estate duty in South Africa, and no estate duty anywhere in the world, because it's now sitting in a foreign trust. And you miss the problem that our viewer picked up on the loan accounts, because there's no loan account. So Harry, I've got a 14 million rand policy just, just to, to, to cover state duty, to create liquidity. Yes. I buy a $1 million policy offshore. Yes. Now, the South African policy will be added to my state, and let's Correct. say I leave it to a trust or to children, I'm going to pay 20% in the state duty. Yes. Here I'm not going to pay anything. Correct. I'll still have to find money for the rest of my state. Can I bring that money back? So the money must pay out of South Africa to start, because in terms of the state duty act, it, the minute it pays back into South Africa, it becomes a domestic policy and is state dutyable. So as long as you're paying it offshore to a foreign beneficiary or to a foreign trust, then there wouldn't be any estate duty, or even to your spouse. If they want to then bring it back afterwards, they can do that. And Harry, can you appoint minor beneficiaries? No, so now that's the issue. And it's something I actually wanted to talk about. On any life policy, local or foreign, you shouldn't have minor beneficiaries. Because then what you'll find happening is if we pay it out into that minor's account, the guardian has got full control of that account, and they can dissipate the money. There's no protection. With a foreign policy, it's even worse, because now you're going to have to have a foreign bank account. And you can imagine the FICA of a minor trying to open a foreign bank account. So with our dollar life policy, we'd Would it be impossible to open a bank Almost impossible. Anyway, yeah. You should have a foreign trust or a foreign company or a major being the beneficiary. So you could have, you know, because Gordon always talks about having a trust that's a bottom just draw a, a bottom-draw trust. trust. Yes. So you could create that bottom-draw trust yes. and make that bottom-draw trust, even though you don't have put any assets in it, make that the beneficiary yes. of the policy. Policy goes into that trust. And it's protected you, for the buyer. Is this, a, is, this a, is this a loophole? Is this likely to be well, it's not blocked really a at some stage? Because to be honest, there aren't a lot of these foreign policies around. You know, as I said, any discovery offer it. And it's not like there are thousands of these policies around. It's not a major loophole, but it's not even a loophole. The act is very, very clear. And it says if your policy is not a domestic policy, then it doesn't get deemed to be part of your state. And any foreign policy paying out of South Africa is not a domestic policy. So it's actually quite clear black and white in the act. 
Well, we're going, to call, we're going to carry on with emails. You can call me on 011-483-1518. Please note our new number. Stay tuned. We'll be back shortly. Welcome back, and if you just joined the program, we're talking state planning this evening. My guest is Harry Joffe, and if you've stayed with us, please, I hope you're enjoying the show. Email from Bodie in Durban, and he says, please explain the difference about what we've been talking about, the difference between the testamentary and intervivus trust, and which one is preferable. Well, they're different. All right, well, it's a great question. So, a testamentary trust is created in your will. So, it only gets formed after you die by virtue of your will. Intervivus trust gets created now while you're alive. Intervivus, Latin meaning um, while you're living. And it gets created now while you're alive, it gets registered in the master's office, gets a registration number, and it's up and going. I much prefer an intervivos trust, and I'll tell you why, for three reasons. Testamentary trust number one is dependent on the will. So if there's a problem in the will, if it's not signed correctly, or if the will gets lost, or if the will's invalid, you can't create the testamentary trust. Even you if you the trust. can't find the original will. Exactly, you've got to go to court then and it's a delay. The second problem is if there's any litigation around that will, and we've had it a few times now at Discovery where the family in the will are fighting, and they're fighting over the appointment of the executor. So there's no executor to take forward matters, so there's no one to set up the testamentary trust. So we actually can't pay out the policy because there's no trust set up. And the third problem is there's just a delay. So even if everything goes smoothly, there dies, the testamentary trust says a beneficiary of the uh, policy. You've got to wait a couple of months for the executor to be appointed, and then the executor's got to set up a trust. So you're looking at three months before money gets paid into that trust. If it's an intervivos trust, it's set up now, while you're alive, when you die, there's no delay. And there's another advantage of the intervivos trust, Harry. You can make changes during your lifetime exactly. as compared to the testamentary trust. Exactly, trust as we discussed before. in that previous yeah. case. Testamentary is much more inflexible. Tembe uh, Soweto says, and I'm not sure you, you, you have the answer at your fingertips here. He says, I'm 66, I'm thinking of upgrading my medical aid. How do I calculate how much of that increase would be paid by the receiver of revenue? Okay, that's so a, a nice question. It's a difficult, do you know the formula? It's well, a difficult that formula. formula. I know the formula, but let me <laughs> just say something before that. There's a very strong rumour that the whole tax credit system is going to be scrapped in the budget. Government is obviously trying to raise more money, and there's a, it's worth 20 billion rand, that tax credit that no, we I get. think they said they're going to want to use that for the, format, the exactly. start of NHR. And there's a strong rumour it's going to be scrapped totally, so it'll make all our lives much easier, although not better. Well, it had major impact on people over the age of 65, eh? Well, what we did, we actually did some research, and we showed 1.9 million people will actually come off medical aid if they get rid of that tax credit. So it'd have a major consequence. But just to go back to that tax credit, I mean, it's not a simple cult, but really what you do is it depends on your main member, your member plus one, so your spouse, plus dependents. There's a certain tax credit for that. And then if you're over 65, lucky enough to be over 65, Brian, or you've got any disability, you get a secondary credit. And that's when it starts getting quite complicated, because then you've got to look at three times your annual tax credit, and then it's uh, 33% of that. So it gets very yeah. complicated. I mean, if, I mean, if, I, if you've got a healthcare broker, is that healthcare broker, or do you need to actually speak to your accountant or tax yeah, practitioner? I mean, we've got slides on it, and I can take yeah. them through the slides. Yeah. It starts getting very complicated. There's three different scenarios. Yeah. A normal taxpayer, in inverted commas, a taxpayer over 65, and a taxpayer with a disability. So the over 65 and disability, it works like that. So you get your normal credit, but then you get a secondary credit of anything above three times the annual credit, 33% of that. 
confusing calculation. It is, it is a few compute. Uh, Ivan Midrand says, I bought a second-hand policy many years ago. I was unaware that there was double CG tax paid. Is it still a good tax-saving vehicle if I draw income on the policy? And is it treated as income or CGT or neither because I'm drawing capital? Okay, okay so great question. I listened I mean, to my shop tonight, let me tell you. So <coughs> if it's a second-hand endowment policy... A lot of people bought those second-hand endowments. Yes. And before CGT came in, Correct. or even when it came in, they paid CGT, the insurance companies paid it. So a normal endowment is paid in the portfolio by the insurer, and that means when you take money out, you don't pay a secondary tax because it's already been paid. With a second-hand policy, because of paragraph 55 of the H schedule, you pay double CGT in the portfolio, and once again when you draw any money out of that policy. So you're actually paying the CGT twice, once in the portfolio, once when you draw. And it's a good question the viewers asking, because if you're going to pay income tax, so let's assume you're thinking of buying some kind of annuity and paying income tax. It might be cheaper to pay the double CGT. You've got to do the math to see which is better. But the answer to the viewer is you will always pay CGT because it's in the H schedule, and you'll pay CGT twice. And it's, again, a complicated calculation because you've got to look at your base cost, you've got to look at your gain, and you only pay CGT on the gain. And when you, and, and when you draw income? And I mean, when you draw partial... Are you paying, yes, I mean, you're drawing, let's say you draw 6% from the policy. Then you've got is to do... That, is that income tax? Or no, it's capital gains tax capital in gains. terms of the age schedule. But the calculation is complicated because let's say you bought the policy for a million, the second-hand policy, and now you're drawing 10,000 rand a month. You've got to prorate your base cost against your drawing and work out what your actual gain is. So there's a whole formula that you use to work it out. So part of it could be capital against capital and part of it could be CGT? Well, no, uh, the, the base cost will be prorated. So of that 10,000, they might say 6,000 was base cost and only 4,000 is gain. So it comes to something similar to what you're saying, but it's the formula. So who would give you that? I mean, would the insurance company give you that calculation? Or no, you, you've got to work it out you yourself, I'm afraid. So you've got to speak to your practice. Yeah, your tax advisor. Shirley in Durban says, I'm inheriting money from my late sister's estate. There are a few nephews and nieces to whom I want to give money. Can I do it without paying donations tax, or is it better to give it to them as an interest-free loan? Can, you, can, yeah. I mean, can she do it prior to distribution? Can she say... Well, she could uh, denounce any right to claim from the estate, but then, of course, she's giving up her right. She could repudiate her right to claim. So probably better for her to get the money. Remember, she's allowed to donate 100,000 rand a year, so she can give them 100,000 rand a year free of donations tax. Or she can give them the money interest-free because 7C doesn't work between individuals. So she can loan them the money interest-free, but then, of course, there's that loan that they have to repay and they have to... Unless she leaves that loan to her... Back in, in the, the will. As long as it's below the three and a half or... Uh, w- three and well, let me ask you a question. I mean, does it matter in terms of spouses if one spouse deceased some years ago and didn't have any assets and now the second spouse dies... Will that second spouse get this full seven million? Yeah, so what the Statute Act says, when your second spouse dies, you get seven million less what the first dying spouse used. So the first dying spouse used nothing, you get seven million. But subject to a condition that you have to be able to prove to the master and to SARS what the first dying spouse's estate was. So you've got to have all those documents to show the first dying spouse's estate. And Harry, a lot of people's estates are not finalised. Years later. Yes. I mean, the distribution has been made. I've got a record, 17 years an estate was kept open for. No, so that, that, that's a real problem on the death of the second because the, the revenue will go back or the master will go back and say, please, before I can make a decision, I want to see the closure of the first estate. Yes. but it, Well, it's asking a very complicated again, the calculation, because uh, the 7 million has to kick in. And obviously you've got to close the first estate first before you close the second estate to see where the seven million goes. Richard and Randberg says, can I use CGT to calculate how much I pay to a retirement annuity? That's been on and off. Now, okay, great question. I mean, I listened to the fantastic <laughs> tonight. Yes, it's been on and off. We've actually had comments in Parliament now because we raised this in Parliament. It was such a grey area. 
and they confirmed in Parliament that you can use your taxable capital gain to work out the 27.5%. So remember, for an RA deduction, you got 27.5% of taxable income up to 350,000 Rand. So in terms of the comments in Parliament and the law, I mean, the law has been quite clear. We just weren't sure if they were going to change the law. That you can now take 27.5% of your taxable income, including the taxable portion of your capital gain. And you can claim that as a deduction. But remember the second leg, you can only physically deduct against taxable income. So let's give you an example. Let's say you've got 500,000 Rand uh, taxable income and 500,000 Rand taxable capital gain. You can work out your 27.5% of the million. Which is 275. But you can only claim that against the 500,000 taxable income. So as long as it's not, if it's in excess, you can't claim it. If you've got no taxable income, then of course you couldn't claim it actually physically. So that's clear now. That's now clear. Lyndon Jansbergs, I'm married by ANC with accrual and all assets have been accumulated during the marriage. If I leave my assets to my children, what happens to the accrual claim I have against my husband? Yes, I That mean, could be a real problem. We've got to go back a step here. Who's got the bigger accrual? Because if she's got the smaller accrual, it doesn't matter. Because that means he would owe her money. But if she's got the bigger accrual, then of course on her death she owes his estate money. And that he's a creditor against her estate. So before we distribute to heirs, we've got to pay creditors, and that money would come off first. So let's say her estate is worth five million, and she's got an accrual liability to him of one million. She would only have four million to distribute. One million would have to go to him first. But so, so again, marriage regime is important in state it's planning. Vital. It's vital. Second step. First is the will, and second is your marriage regime. Well, I started the program by referring to the master's office comments that there are a number of people that don't have a will, and the problems encountered where wills have not been updated. No matter how old you, your will is, it's still a current will, which the executor will follow as in the words in the will, and it reads, last will and testament. My advice is to draw up a will, however simple, to avoid dying interstate. Make sure you know the role of the executor and take into account estate duty and taxation when calculating how much you are leaving to your loved ones. Harry, thank you for joining me this evening. Lovely to be with you, Brian. It's important to note our program is to provide information and should be not construed as advice. Next week's program will be on deal with healthcare industry with particular reference to medical aids. If you need to get hold of me, my details will appear on the screen. Thank you for watching and good night.